finish with you. Sorry, Braun Strowman. This is to you because we're not finished with you yet. Hello, everyone out there in Geek 5 Nation. This is Dane, and this is Wrestling Geeks Alliance, the greatest show of wrestling-related anything anywhere out there in the Ethernet. Um, I lied about all that type of stuff. It's, it's me and my charming uh, co-host, Christopher Ray Patton, Brother Ray, if you will. How are you doing, Chris? Good, man. How about you, Dane? I'm doing good. You know what sucks about the whole brother thing? Like, you know, the Broken Hardy. It's all middle names, and mine's boring. It would be Brother Steven. You got a cool brother one, like Steven? Brother Ray. I thought you were going with, like, Brother Ray, like, when the Bubba's were all, like, you know, the Dudleys were all brothers in ECW. They were, yeah. like, all related. And they rolled that gimmick forever. They were, like, you know, Spike was related to Devon, who was related to Bubba Ray. There was, like, 14 Dudley brothers all together. I forgot the other Dudleys, too. There was a, the really, really fat one. Um, that didn't really narrow it down at all into anything. But, uh, yeah, yeah, brother, you know, brother, just like Hulk Hogan's his brother. Anyways, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about some stuff tonight, wrestling-related, of course. Um, it's good to have Chris back because uh, you haven't been on the last uh, two shows. We, we're both busy in our lives. We had to cancel two weeks ago completely, and then, you were out last week when we were talking about the top ten, which you missed a very interesting episode. Uh, the top ten game that Juwan plays is evil because you have to name ten wrestlers and then cut down three, then keep on cutting down so you have one. So we did top ten heels and top ten baby faces, um, and me and Joel screwed over Juwan quite a bit. He's a little bit younger than us. Uh, he goes for a different generation, which, you know, that's, that's good for him. Anyways, let's get into some of this shit. Uh, how did you like that post, actually, earlier? I wanted to ask you about that, Chris. I'll ask you on air. That, the whole Dusty Rhodes thing, because I was thinking about it. I don't think we're ever going to have someone like that, ever, especially for the fact of, like, how charming, charismatic. Maybe it's – I watched a documentary, basically, last night, and then I followed it up watching uh, some of those uh, Greatest Hits uh, compilation thing that they have on the network. And I watched the first couple matches, especially that first one where he was in a tag team match with uh, Dick Murdoch. But anyways, Dusty was just so original. If you don't know who I'm talking about, God, I hope you do. Dusty Rhodes, uh, known for this generation mainly of being one of the main talent scouts and uh, whatchamacallit, mentors over at NXT when it first started and for the last several years until he passed away. Uh, Father of Dustin Rhodes. Uh, A.K.A. Goldust and also Cody Rhodes, um, who's been Stardust back in WWE, but uh, the perfect baby face. And anyone that's into wrestling, if you don't know much about Dusty, just watch the Hard Times promo that he cuts against Ric Flair for his rivalry in, in the 80s. Just amazing stuff. But well, basically the conversation I made in Geek Five Nation on Facebook was there's not many wrestlers that remind me of him at all. Uh, you know, a lot of the people that were direct influence, I could say that, kind of were trained by him and kind of share stuff. Like, Diamond Dallas Page shares traits. Bubba Ray Dudley definitely takes stuff from him. So did Road Dog. Um, but none of them had that gravitas. The closest person I could think of is The Rock. And still, The Rock wasn't that wonderful, happy presence it almost Mick Foley kind of encompasses in a way of, you know, just like 
that guy. We should have fought Hulk Hogan in the fucking 80s, but whatever. Um, but we're talking about it. Babyface out of modern day that kind of reminds you of Dusty. And then, like, someone modern day that you'd like to see him face against. I really would love to see him go against um, Kevin Owens, and especially this incarnation of Kevin Owens, because he trained Kevin uh, for a good bit at the Performance Center. But uh, let me, since I've been rambling, Chris, pass it to you a little bit. I know it's kind of on the spot, but I thought about it, so I thought, fuck it, let's talk about it a little bit. Man, the only person in the last five years that I could even slightly compare to as far as his charisma and being just a, a good guy, a straight good guy, someone you wanted to cheer for, someone you can kind of relate to is, you know, I, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say Dusty was an underdog, but in comparison to who he was going against, I mean, he was going against the yeah. nature boy, Rick Flair, and the four horsemen, and, you know, some of the some of the top guys he went against were way better shape than he was, and uh, their, you know, their promo and style, while it was on the same level as Dusty's, is, was kind of crazy and over the top in a lot of ways, like Ric Flair, for instance, where he didn't give give. That's why it worked so well because you had Ric Flair talking about, you know, three thousand dollar suits and two thousand dollar gators and the Rolex watch, and we've all heard those promos. But Dusty's promos is, especially Hard Times, which is the one you referenced earlier. The reason it works so well is because he's relating to the audience. Um, in a sense that, you know, Stone Cold did that a bit. He related to the audience, the hating yeah. your boss, not caring about the money. I care about, you know, kicking ass. It's all I'm about. And uh, Dusty, while not as, uh, you know, mean and, and redneck as uh, Austin was, from the same same cloth, I mean, he's West Texas, uh, that same mentality uh, of how you should work as a wrestler and how you should get over as a good guy. If the fans can't relate to you, or they can't admire you as a like a superhero, like a, a John Cena or a Hulk Hogan, then you got to have something that you know really grabs you. And in, in in that sense, you know, Dusty was a little bit of an underdog. He was going against four people half the time for uh, the the biggest run of his career, in my opinion, which was against the Four Horsemen. So him getting over with the crowd had a lot to do with the way he talked to the crowd. So my the, the comparison I gave as far as like someone you could compare him to in recent years. The complete good guy, every sense of the way, would have been Daniel Bryan, um, and his build up to what what a lot of people were were pissed about, like you know Daniel Bryan losing at the Royal Rumble, Dave Batista going over, and then go, having that amazing run where he ended up with both titles. I feel like that is the closest the fans have gotten to someone like Dusty in a long time. Um, when you start talking about the mic uh, mic skills, you get into more of like the Austin or the Rock. But even then, Dusty was never trying to cut down his opponents in the way that The Rock and Austin did. Uh, the Rock and Austin both walked this fine line of gray, which can in some ways be pointed to as a problem in wrestling in general where you don't have someone that's just a clear cut, this is a good guy. And maybe the world doesn't work like that anymore, but that's how, you know, that's how Dusty worked. And, and um, being the common man, <laughs> uh, no pun intended, with that. I'm the son that of a plumber. Right. Yeah, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, he was, you know, he, he was doing everything for the common men. And and with Daniel Bryan, you at least had, hey, I, I do everything that I do in this business because I love it. And, um, you know, he was drug-free and he's vegan. And while a lot of people don't relate to all that stuff, I think it was, it was a modern take on a uh, an underdog-type hero. Um, definitely different than Dusty, but probably the closest comparison that I could give. And, and once again, it, it's really hard just because no one is, no one is like 
like Dusty. Um, maybe early Sting promo stuff when he was Surfer Sting. Um, while granted it wasn't as good as what Dusty was doing, the character was your typical like white meat baby face um, kind of guy. But yeah, I mean the closest comparison I could give in modern wrestling is definitely uh, Daniel Bryan's face run up until his retirement when he was really, really over with the fans. Yeah, it, it's very hard because, all right, you know, you could say, like, with Cena, like, a lot of people make the comparison of, like, he's this generation's Hulk Hogan because he's the all-American guy. I think Cena, and you know, too, that he's a better in-ring performer than, than Hulk Hogan. And I'm not going to knock completely on Hulk Hogan. If you guys check out his his stuff actually in Japan against Muda and stuff like that, he could move around. It's just, like, if he didn't have to do stuff, he wouldn't because – that was Hulk Hogan, but getting back to it, there is not someone like that. Like, there's not really been anyone. Um, you know, he has a lovable quality to him. That's why I said Mick Foley, but Mick Foley is a completely different concept on a different continent. Um, and, like, I like how when we have that, people were, were suggesting Kevin Owens and, um, and someone said The Miz. And, yeah, Mike Talker's maybe, but if they were to go babyface, Kevin Owens would be more like Stone Cold and the Miz would probably be more like The Rock. And even with The Rock, like, Rock said that he had a lot of influence from Dusty in watching his promos, but he also had a lot of influence from Muhammad Ali. And you can tell by the way he, you know, holds himself. A perfect way of saying it. Dusty didn't cut them down. He, he knew he was better than them. And it's because of the struggles that he, you know, he went through and stuff like that. But the comedy, the dancing, I just kind of wanted to have, like, a little uh, corner to say there will never be a wrestler like Dusty Rhodes. Never, and if you've not encountered him too much, um, besides mainly being, maybe being a manager or back when on Nitro when he was one of the announced guys, go check out his stuff. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube if you don't have the network. You know, just Dusty Rhodes is a badass wrestler, and, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of all I really wanted to say. Do you have any uh, closing statements, Chris, before we move on? Well, I mean, the second part of that question would was if I if I remember correctly, and I think a lot of people kind of glossed over it was who would you want to see Dusty go against in modern times? Yeah, you have the good guy Dusty against the heel. I mean, who who would you put against him? And it's a very interesting question. And there's two answers that come to mind for me at least currently in the WWE product. And, and the first one's Miz, just because Miz is obviously to me honestly the best heel in WWE right now, maybe followed by, say, uh, uh, can't talk, (laughs) English, am I right? Um, Maybe followed by probably, followed by Kevin Owens, and depending on how far they want to let Kevin Owens take his gimmick, I mean, he can can be be a shitbag heel, or he can be over as a face, and, and he's more of like a Stone Cold type character when he's a face, but yeah, those are my top two heels right now. Um, and if I had to see him go against one, I would, I would probably say the Miz, and then maybe followed by uh, followed by Bobby Roode, just because I think both of those characters could work against someone like Dusty Rhodes, who was the common man and has always had that. Oh kind of yeah. Gimmick. And those would be my two go-to's um, once I thought about it a little bit more. But I, I mean, I'm kind of interested to hear what what you think and who you would go with for who you'd like to see him face if he was coming back to work one program. Say we got a time machine or something. Well, one program, baby. We're gonna make we're gonna make Broadway. Um, I would probably have him go against KO. I think that 
sounds like a really cool bill, especially if you have him like he is right now, like the king of America, the fact that he's a Canadian coming over here, telling everyone they're disgusting, wearing the suits now. And even Dusty can bring up the fact that he's a past protege. You know, you could put that in there. But if we're talking both, both prime in a uh, gimmick together, yeah, I would like to see the two of them. I don't know. I like someone suggested uh, Jay Lethal. And my God, that man needs to come to WWE. Uh, Ric Flair was just saying, actually, his charisma. I forgot who he was saying it to. But he was on a podcast saying, like, he needs to be in the WWE. Like, his charisma, like, it's like a Dusty-style charisma. It's like a blah, blah, blah. He started listening a bunch. I think he said Sting. Like, he's got so much charisma and so much accessibility. You know, you can exploit him, basically, essentially, uh, in the business. But um, if if you had a heel Jay Lethal, that would be really interesting. Um, Bray Wyatt, even, just because you could do, like, the whole, like, you know, they're both Southern boys, uh, something like that. I think would be a lot of fun, but I love your idea of just putting them against, you know, the Miz or, or Bobby Roode because they kind of are two guys that are that have that Ric Flair esque to them. So who knows? It's fun to play this thing, though. I mean, that's why we have WWE 2K17. I did a promo. I'm not even getting paid by them, but I play them so much I might as well say something about them fucking on air once in a while. Know what I'm saying, Chris? <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, especially because Matt Hardy just keeps hitting the top button every time he comes to the ring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, some New Japan Pro Wrestling, man. Uh, so, back in, I think it was January, a uh, little thing, yeah, January 4th, right after Christmas, people were talking about this match like it was the greatest thing ever. And, I mean, I'm kind of invested in wrestling, and this is actually the turnaround, was Wrestle Kingdom 11 at the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo for New Japan Pro Wrestling, which I knew back in the day. It was the biggest organization in Japan. Uh, They did a lot of stuff in the 80s. They did a lot of cross-promotion with WCW, and I believe NWA, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if I can guarantee that last part, but Chris will probably be able to. Uh, But anyways... In this, they had a match between um, Okada versus Omega, okay? And I was like, what the fuck is Okada versus Omega? It sounded like a video game, which heavily influenced Kenny Omega's gimmick, his very video game in essence, kind of Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII, if you will. But uh, Kenny Omega, who reminds me in the ring, I guess you could say like a Shawn Michaels or, or Chris Jericho, it's kind of not fair, but he's very fluid, very fast striking hard, so that's something that I definitely, that's more of a Japanese strong style mentality. This is stuff that I learned. I learned a whole fucking language of different wrestling terms just specifically for Japanese style wrestling. But uh, Okada had this, uh, you know, type of essence to him of, of he was like this prize fighter, uh, you know, and just the, the bat, the, 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 I'm trying to like really think because, like, I made a comparison to The Rock, and it was a bad comparison a long time ago. I didn't know enough about Okada. He's not – he doesn't talk at all. Like, he just lets his actions speak for them. Um, but this match was, I think, an hour. Uh, Dave Metzler, who's a huge guy in wrestling uh, journalism, uh, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, gave it a six-star, which is kind of ridiculous. And I know that Jim Cornette's mad about that, but he's mad about a lot of stuff, and we'll just let Jimmy keep on doing his thing in the corner. 
But this match was amazing. Um, it went up there immediately with some of my favorite matches, like the Iron Man match with Brett and Sean, uh, Sean and Undertaker, both of those matches. Uh, WrestleMania 13 with Bret Hart and, uh, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Man, I, I really like Shawn, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, apparently. Um, and Ricky Steamboat and, and Macho Man. It was, it was a classic, and it was long. It was amazing. And, like, I thought they told a great story. There's criticism that they did a little bit too many spots. Whatever. I mean, I didn't notice that shit. I kind of get people, uh, like, I really look deep into things, like movies, so I can understand when, when someone has that, like, type of uh, analyzing towards something, but it's just like, just chill out and fucking enjoy shit. That's all I have to fucking say. It just drives me nuts. Anyways, Chris, after rounding a little bit and opening this up, basically, this type of stuff got me into uh, New Japan Wrestling, and I know that you're someone who promoted that and definitely... I started checking out a hell of a lot more stuff um, from them. I believe that they're on on Friday nights, but or maybe it's Saturday nights. But uh, tell me about yourself and your relationship with New Japan. Not that you work for them or anything. Well, uh, it, I mean, my earliest member, memory of New Japan was seeing uh, like Justin uh, Justin Liger, Justin Liger, and uh, Muda in WCW. So as a kid, I was just fascinated by these guys. And even as someone that was a Sting fan, I just found myself drawn more to Muda and his mystique and the way he worked in the ring and wrestled in the ring. Just crazy because I was a huge Sting fan. Uh, same thing with Justin Thunderliger. So, you know, over the years as I got older, it, it made me want to watch more of that and consume as much of it as I possibly could. And when we first started talking about doing this podcast, that's when I was like, you have to watch the Sokata match. <laughs> you have to see it. Because you're right. You're right. I think it's an absolute stepping stone for anyone that has any interest in wrestling to to go see what these guys can do. And Okada hasn't had a match that wasn't five stars this year on on the pay-per-view level. I mean, the guy's just absolutely incredible in the ring, the things he can do, be it some of them being dangerous or or not, um, with the Shibata match specifically, and some of the spots in the Kenny Omega match, Tiger Suplex off the top rope probably was a bit much. Um, but the, the things they can do in the ring and the, and the way they work, it's, it's completely different. And it's, it's that same intrigue that I think you could get if you were someone that was watching WCW and WWF every week during the Attitude Era, and you just happen to click over and see, you know, Chris Benoit or a Chris Jericho um, in ECW or just one of the great ECW matches, any of those guys, where it was it was different. It gave you something kind of to bite into and hang on to, which New Japan was around then too. But the only way I could access it personally growing up, even as a teenager, was through uh, tape trading, which I know sounds completely crazy, but you would, you know, you'd go to a wrestling convention or a comic convention, and that's how you'd get your hands on that stuff. If you wanted to see, you know, a G1 tournament or, uh, Wrestle Kingdom, you had to go search that stuff out. I mean, it wasn't readily and easily available. And now with, like, YouTube... Or the internet. Uh, the internet, uh, it, it makes it a lot, uh, a lot more accessible. And, I mean, just so people don't know, I mean, there's a ton, like, Nakamura was in New Japan. And, I mean, that stuff crosses over even into Ring of Honor, where they have a working relationship, where you got... Oh, yeah. They came to I mean, Chris... Let, let me just cut you off if you can keep on going uh, because you're on a roll. But people realize, realize that 
WWE is grabbing talent from New Japan for a reason. If you guys didn't know, um, you know, besides uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, Finn Balor, huge as Prince Devitt over there. Uh, you know, that's where he came from before. You know, he was in Ireland first, uh, and then off after the English scene, went over to Japan, was big over there. Uh, Gallows and Anderson. AJ Styles, I think, definitely shows his growth the most when he went to Japan. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. There's so many wrestlers, but I'm sorry. Continue, Chris. Didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, yeah, sorry. It's okay. Uh, let's get my train of thought back here. Uh, yeah. So if people, I don't think people realize how much, how much of that stuff has translated, especially if you're a ring of honor fan and you, and you've seen some of the, some of the pay-per-views they've done with crossovers. I mean, there's some great matches out there. People should check out with, um, for instance, one that I just watched today was uh, Kevin Steen, a.k.a. Kevin Owens, versus uh, Nakamura before they you know, ever even thought about going to the WWF or WWE, I should say. And the style is just so different, um, and every match is different. You have the super lightweights, and they work like a very stiff style, but it's also got some lucha influence and it's it's just a weird thing, and the way they're trained is completely different than here. the the whole The whole idea of New Japan in general, yes, you're going to have to actively search it out. Yes, you're going to have to set your DVR to record at weird times on weird channels. But I mean, it's something that's that's here to stay. I don't, I don't see it changing, and hopefully, it gets bigger in America. And I think when you talk about Omega, I think he might be the perfect guy to build this that American culture around. Um, in a weird sense, because they've missed out on uh, a Prince Devitt and an AJ Styles, and I think that's where they're headed, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it, but absolutely 100%, if you want a stepping stone match, probably one of the greatest matches I've ever seen personally, that Okada-Omega match was absolutely brilliant um, in every sense of the matter, and yeah, even Stone Cold said it was one of the best matches he had ever seen, and, and I, it's hard to go against Austin 316 when it comes to wrestling. Hell yeah! No, um, and not only that, like, I mean, the thing about that match that is crazy to me is because that match might be the greatest wrestling match I've ever watched. I've watched it quite a few times now, and I still enjoy it and see new things every time I watch it. Um, what's crazy about that is that the other matches I compared it to, I had investment in those professional wrestlers for years beforehand. When I first saw Omega and Okada, that was the first time I ever saw either one of them. And, I mean, let's be honest with you. Okada's finisher is not devastating except for the selling from both Okada and the person he's giving it to. But, my God, it's just like everything was fluid. Japan's just different. Uh, Japanese strong style and just Japanese style in general in the ring is based a lot on MMA. Um you know, the influence over there were when Pride was dominant. Uh, they actually have some people, uh, you know, Shibata, who unfortunately is not going to be wrestling anymore due to a head injury with his match with Okada, not actually from MMA, but from a headbutt that was disgusting. Um, and uh, bleeding on the brain ended up happening. But anyways, but like Shibata was an MMA fighter, or he did that too. I know Bob Sapp, uh, and you might know Bob Sapp as the uh, the gentleman – that was in the Longest Yard remake. Um, he was also in Pride, and he's been in a bunch of other stuff. But basically, they still sell it 
sort of at least a hell of a lot more than we do, like it's a work. Like it's, you know, like it's real. I think I just said the opposite. Anyways, like it's real. Um, and that makes it really special because the audience are very respectful over there. And I'm not saying that we need to, like, stop being so rowdy. We can stop saying CM Punk every other fucking time, you know, to let a person talk on the microphone instead of being that drunk asshole. And I'm going to be at SmackDown, uh, not this week and the next, but if someone does that around me, I'm going to tell them to shut the fuck up. Anyways, they're very quiet. They're very into it. They're very excited. Uh, You know, there's much more of a, like, you can hear a pin drop in there at certain times. But at the same time, then all of a sudden it's like, life-changing experiences for every audience member from what's going on in the ring. It's, it's brutal. The Shibata Okada match was literally them doing grappling for a good 20 minutes almost before they started doing some high spots. Like, it's, it's some insane wrestling and some amazing wrestlers. And I hope that some of them maybe, you know, make their way over WWE like a Kenny Omega eventually. Um, but I hope some of them don't. Uh, I don't expect Tanahashi ever to do that. I don't expect Okada ever to go to WWE. I think that, in a way, uh, to me, and I kind of, this is a good segue into what we're going to talk about, kind of like talking about specific wrestlers and like who you should check out uh, off the Internet uh, if you get a chance to. Um, but Okada and Tanahashi kind of remind me of Japan's version. Okada is their Orton and Tanahashi is their John Cena, if you will. Like, Tanahashi and John Cena are both the company guys. Uh, they're both incredible in-ring workers. Uh, they've both been around for a long time, held the championship belts, and are very much a go-to from their promotions to help them out. Uh, Okada is a better uh, he's a better performer than Randy, and I'm not trying to cut Randy short. It's just that's, that's a, a very, very true statement. But similarities, besides the fact that they always put the you know belt on Randy, but... Currently, they're both champions. Uh, both have a presence to them that their actions will speak louder than their words, basically. Uh, smug. Both of them like to be dickheads on, on Twitter, if you guys didn't know either one of that. Um, they both have a move that's really not that devastating, but based on selling, is very devastating. Strong strikes. Um, you know, they, they, to me, that's, that's who they kind of mimic. Um, do you see that at all, Chris? And who's someone that you could see as like a good comparison of their, their, their big lineup of wrestlers. Oh man, let's pull up the roster. That'll probably be easier for me. So give me just a second so that we'll get a in-depth roster here and kind of go through some of them. Yeah, um, I cheated. Okada, I have it in front of me. Okada is, is, is pro. I mean, he, I don't dislike your comparison to the rock, uh, originally, not necessarily for his, uh, charisma, but the way he sells his character. I mean, the Rainmaker in general is someone that necessarily didn't care. Like, the original concept of that character is he's not someone that actually cared about the fans or cared about wrestling in general. He's just there to make money. He's there to make it rain. He's there to be the champion. It's the same kind of gimmick that Kevin Owens had when they brought him in, and he was the prize fighter. Um, Kevin Owens is very similar to that right now, yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, Tanahashi... Tanahashi is, uh, to me, uh, almost like early Y2J, very similar as far as kind of how their character is being over the top. Um, I don't dislike the, the comparison of him being the face of the company, the, the John Cena S, because he, he did, he's held many titles, and he's kind of always been uh, someone that they could pivot off of. Um, Kenny Omega, Omega's 
as far as his persona and the character he plays is, is an original weird thing. I mean, he plays an American and originally his character was basically like an American obsessed with Japanese culture, but didn't really care for Japanese people. It's kind of a weird, almost like an anime villain or something. Yeah. It plays more into uh, how much respect means in new Japan. I mean, that's why you watch a New Japan match and you see someone spit on the other person, that's a way bigger deal than it would be here. I mean, it's still a big deal and you still are like an asshole, but I don't think that it would have the same reaction as it does in Japan. Respect means a lot more, especially respect for your opponent. Um, I'm trying to think of someone else. I mean, uh, right offhand. Um, yeah, I, I told you to pick up. Act seems a little bit like, uh, to me, almost like a Kevin Nash type type guy as far as uh, how his character is currently. Um, very interesting stuff. Uh, Nato is kind of a weird character, someone that everyone should probably look, look up and check out. I, I really enjoy him a lot. Uh, to see a Nato, uh, he's got qualities. I mean, he's kind of got that disrespectful quality that Kenny Omega almost has too, but um, I guess in a way he's, he's a better in-ring worker. It, this comparison is not so much that style, but like gimmick wise, maybe like kind of how Dean Ambrose is over here. Almost. I don't think Dean's as big over here as he is over in Japan, but they have like that rugged style concept, at least um, try and think of another person that, I mean, Shibata sucks. I, I I've watched a bunch of his matches and he's going to be not coming back. Uh, but he's a fucking a vicious He's almost a one in a kind. Um, he had like an intimidation that I would have loved to seen him work with Daniel Bryan, but if anyone like has an intimidating face, I would have loved to have seen him work with Chris Benoit. Uh, yeah, that w- I mean that would have been really great. I would I, like if we're going if we're just pulling pulling back matches that would have been great. Um, Goto versus Chris Benoit. Roku uh, Goto would have been that would have been also an amazing match. Something that I would have loved to have seen. I don't. I'm not sure if they ever worked together. Goto has been around for a long time, so it's possible that they did work together. And I'm just overlooking it or missed it. But that would have been amazing as well. Um, I mean, there's what just if, so what about, many. Uh, what have you about uh, Goto and Shibata? You put them in the ring versus Sheamus and Cesaro. Like I think someone's gonna break a fucking skull or some shit like that from all the hits. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, just had to throw it out there. Yeah, probably. If fucking Seamus' dumbass chipped one of them too hard, he'd be in for a real life ass whooping, not just a chewing out backstage. No, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Shibata would probably stretch him out in the middle of the ring and give his ass for a seat. Uh, Shibata, like, you know, Nakamura for the longest time has been called the king of strong style, but if you watch the Shibata match and it makes Nakamura look like a big old softy. Um, if you're into seeing hard-hitting wrestling, um, check out Shibata for sure. It's really sad that his career is probably over from one spot that wasn't necessary, but Shibata was a great worker. That's, that's sad. It's terrible to think about. Every time I think about it, I cringe because it's just, it, you know. I, I watched it again today. I, I, read, I read today that Shibata is, uh, he's been moved to, the general population of the hospital, he's doing better. He's got movement in all his limbs. He seems to be 
active and conscious. So that's that's good news for his family from that standpoint. But his wrestling career is probably over. So if you haven't seen it yet, go back and watch what I mean. What's probably going to be considered his best match, which was against Okada, whose name is going to continuously come up as we talk about this because the man hasn't had it. My head hurts that match this year. <laughs> but. Yeah, it's it's good to know that he's doing okay, and I, I definitely want to send out warm vibes. I doubt that we got a bunch of New Japan listeners, but definitely send warm vibes to his family and, and what they're going through. Yeah, no kidding, man. He was he was a badass, and I, I think that him and Benoit would have beaten the shit out of each other. That would have been really cool to watch. I liked your idea about God or Goto too. Uh, what about what about Ishii? Do you think that like like I saw someone suggest one time him versus Samoa Joe? And I agreed, and then I looked at the sizes, and Ishii, even though he's a steel pit bull, he's a little dude that's like little muscle and just meanness, kind of like a Taz almost. Yeah, in the same sense, so is Daniel Bryan. It just depends on how you want to work the match, right? Um, So, you know, he takes the ass open at the beginning and then slowly makes his comeback. You can still sell it and and make it good. I mean, a a lot of fans are going to cheer for – cheer for the smaller guy. Uh, a good example of that, if you're wanting to see a match, uh, 2015, I believe it was at the New Japan Cup, you had a Goto versus Kota Abushi, and that, that would have been a similar similar type of match. It's also a great match. You can check that out. But uh, that's from... There's uh, another name. Yeah. It's a Kota Abushi, <laughs> a.k.a. Uh, whatchamacallit. Uh, Tiger Mask W. He's a fucking badass. A lot of, uh, you know, you guys might know him because he was in, um, If you like I said, I'm assuming to the people I'm talking to, they haven't watched much from New Japan. If you watched the Cruiserweight Cup um, when they were doing that, he had an amazing match with Cedric Alexander. That was probably the best match out of the whole entire Cruiserweight tournament, in my opinion. Uh, and he had an amazing match with Kenny Omega that you showed me, Chris. Um I've seen a bunch of other stuff. The dude is fire. I would love to see him. And maybe I should check to see if, if Finn won against him back when he was uh, Prince Devitt and over in Japan. But I would love to see Finn Balor go against Kota Ibushi just because of their graceful yet hard-hitting styles. Um, and they have – that's the thing about New Japan that's different than WWE. New Japan kind of embraces the superhero quality – that I think WWF embraced back in the 80s and even the early 90s, that New Japan has animes that are formed off it, like I said, with Tiger Mask W, um, you know, lots of different characters. Like, uh, I believe I believe uh, Tenzin has an anime based off him, or used to back when he wore that bull outfit. Uh, but just, it's such a cool culture. It's just so different. I think that you're right, though, that I think that Muda and Justin Thunder Liger on WCW was my first interaction with them. Muta, I'm hoping everyone knows who the great Muta is. Um, I would put him up there with Mystique characters. He's right underneath The Undertaker as far as my favorite or who I think is the best uh, Mystique-based character. One thing he had, very similar quality. I would love to see the two of them, you know, go at it too, by the way. I think that's a dream match for most wrestling fans. But the, the similar quality is that they didn't have to talk at all. They were scary, just their presence and just the unnerving things they would do in their entrance. Like, they both share that type of quality. Now, of course, uh, you know, uh, Keiji Muto is a much more quick-style wrestler than The Undertaker, but still, they would have had great 
in ring chemistry. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that would have been, I mean, that that's a match that I always thought would have been really, really cool, especially someone like Ministry of Darkness, Undertaker, maybe calling Muda yeah. to help him with, like, corporate ministry and then Muda being the one to turn on him or something cool like that. I mean, there's a lot, there would be a ton of cool storylines you could do. Um, another example of a good Ibushi match, if anyone wants to see more of that, is uh, in 2011, I believe it was, he wrestled uh, Prince Devitt, who is Finn Balor. So if you're a Finn Balor fan, check that out. They had an IWGP junior heavyweight um, match in which uh, he beats Prince Devitt for the title. So that's, that's another good one to check out. Uh, he's definitely one of my favorite workers that's in New Japan currently. I believe he's still in New Japan. He's uh, listed on the current roster, so I'm hoping he is. Uh, hopefully, I don't look silly. But <laughs> Some of these I don't know that you know, information. Uh, Did you say Kota Ibushi? Because I was just saying I, w- I would love to see him go against Finn Balor. So he's he's gone against him. Yeah, 2011. I'm so, gonna check that out as soon as we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing we should definitely uh, dive into a little bit was an American-made faction that formed out of New Japan that connected. Uh, well, I mean, it went as far as connecting groups between WWE, Ring of Honor, and New Japan, but much inspired by the NWO of the late 90s, a uh, little thing called the Bullet Club was formed over with Prince Devitt, a.k.a. Finn Balor, uh, Carl Anderson, I think Doc Ellis would join later on, uh, Bad Luck Fail, who we were just talking about uh, earlier, and then, obviously, AJ Styles will come in and lead them at one point, and then Kenny Omega is now leading them, too. I love it because, uh, and I guess Adam Cole technically was like the Ring of Honor version. Basically, these guys are like a gangster group um, in which that once their leader is about to go to another promotion and leave them, they kick him out of the group, beat the crap out of him, and then the next person takes over. Um, but very NWO-inspired. They do the whole two-sweet thing. Uh they also have um, Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks, Tamatonga. I mean, it's a huge faction. Cody Hall, which is Scott Hall's son. Uh, Cody Rhodes, which is Dusty Rhodes' son. Um, just a villain group that kind of just caught on like wildfire over there. They were able to reinvent the NWO and do it in a cool way. And now it's kind of growing to the point where they're going to have so many members that it's going to implode on itself. But, uh you know, it's been cool to see that grow. Did you actually get to see um, them kick out Adam Cole and add in the uh, the villain, like that video? Uh, yeah, I saw some of that. Uh, they kind of had built that for a while with him and uh, Omega kind of just going back and forth with each other. So I was kind of – I actually thought it was going to be Omega that was going to go and not Adam Cole. So I wonder if there was some contract stuff there that happened or occurred. Or um, Adam Cole, I believe, is still signed to Ring of Honor, so he's a – He's kind of a part-time talent for New Japan. And that's, that's a weird thing that those two companies do with each well, other. Uh, I, guess. I know Metzer uh, said that he's pretty sure Adam Cole's going to be an NXT break or NXT breakdown. Um, he really thinks that he's going to premiere this weekend at NXT uh, TakeOver. That's what I'm about to fucking say, uh, which I really hope is the case uh, because I don't know what he would end up doing uh, much more with the Bullet Club. I guess they could go against them. That would be a first time for them. But I, I like the idea of, um, what is his name, Marty uh, uh, Marty Skrull. He's got a really cool look to him, and I, I definitely dig the weird beard and mustache combo with, like, you know, 
that dynamic, if you will. Um, but, yeah, Bullet Club's another thing. It's like it came out of uh, New Japan. And, I mean, there's so much stuff, like great superstars like Shelton Benjamin went over there. And I think he actually went back over there when he had so many problems with WWE. He's about to start tearing it up over there again. I know Jay Lethal's done some sanction match with Ring of Honor. They do a lot of work with Ring of Honor. So if you like Kyle O'Reilly or Bobby Fish or a lot of those guys, they're going to probably be over there. Um, what's the yeah, and if you're, a big, you're, if you're a big if you're a big Jay Lethal fan, the last pay-per-view or the, the string of pay-per-views that Ring of Honor just did, I believe, had a pretty awesome match with Jay Lethal versus uh, Kenny Omega that you should check out, and that could introduce you into Kenny Omega. There's just so many relations to this company. And, I mean, those, those guys, are they're, they're kind of incredible. And, you know, we keep talking about Kenny Omega, but it's kind of hard not to because he um, is just such a big deal right now. He's having great matches. My only uh, qualm with him is it seems like uh, he'll, he'll turn it down a notch in certain situations. But other than that, for the most part, man, he's, he's fucking incredible to watch. Absolutely amazing. And another guy that's amazing, uh, one of your favorites, uh, signed with New Japan is, um, whatchamacallit, Ricochet, who's had some incredible matches, tag matches and normal matches, this year, the beginning of this year and last year, uh, going between, I think mostly in New Japan, but going between Ring of Honor and New Japan. Um, I, I'm not sure, is, is Ricochet currently with the company, or is he, is he uh, a free agent at this point? He's, he's still there, and he's probably going to be in the running to win the G1, uh, which is going to be in the U.S. this year for the first, as far as I know, the first time, which is, uh, it's kind of New Japan testing the market over here. They sold out, like, uh, three nights of a 3,000-seat arena in, in, like, less than an hour or something. It was kind of a crazy number. So they're they're testing stuff over here. It would be interesting to see if they, it would be nice if they toured some major cities. I, I don't expect them to do a full weekly show or anything crazy like that, but that that's something cool to look forward to this summer. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely would love to see a slide in front of me. Um, I'm going. I'm going to SmackDown. I, I want to see all the styles in front of me because I'm going to Ring of Honor soon too, and I kind of want to like see, like even though obviously I've seen it on my computer and television, in front of me the different dynamics and the crowd settings and all that type of stuff. I guess really it, it, when it comes down to it, like we were talking about their audience participation or lack thereof, if you will, in a good way. Um, the only way that you get the full experience is if you go over to Japan and watch it there with an audience full of those people, uh, you know, just get it, putting their love and passion into this amazing performance. Uh, I can't wait to see Nakamura just blow up in WWE. I think he is. A lot of people are worried about, um, and I, I guess I can ask this a question with you. Do you think that the fact that he can't speak perfect English, if that's going to hinder him, He's such a personality and such a raw – like, I, I compare it, and I'm not comparing it uh, directly based on anything except for just the fact that I think he's the most eccentric all-around wrestler and just overall package since fucking Macho Man. Like, in just this weird I'm – not, I'm not saying that he wrestles like him. I, I think you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, Chris, just, just roll with me. But do you think that his English is going to have problems with him or lack of English uh, going further with WWE? It depends on how they book him and what, and what they want to do with him. Uh, it could hinder him. 
he's not going to be a big Mike guy. But, you know, like when people say stuff like that, I like to remind them that, you know, we talked about him a couple times already, but Chris Benoit was never a Mike guy either. Um, nope. Just, he put on really good matches, and he had a, he had a weird look and, and uh, kind of just looked like a mean motherfucker, but sometimes that's all you really need. You don't necessarily have to be able to talk to be over. The, the amount of charisma that Nakamura has in general with his theme song and his entrance and his overall look and uh, even his moveset to some extent is just so different that I think I think that it's going to be hard for them to keep him down, even if they wanted to. And I don't think his English really matters. Um, if, you, if, I had, if I had to write around it, I would, I would do what they've been doing with Dolph Ziggler where he's – um, almost mysterious. Like he doesn't ha- he doesn't have to say very much, but when he does say something, it should it should be important, you know. Um, maybe like a almost like a silent Bob type thing, <laughs> where he doesn't have to talk at all except for when he has to really important stuff. <laughs> uh, but like, I think you don't have to I think he's doing fine. I mean, I, obviously, I think what a lot of people wanted, and a lot of these fans that talk about Nakamura and even Asuka to some extent. Extent, is they just wanted to see them get thrown with like Paul Heyman and have Paul Heyman talk talk for him, which would be fine if that's something Paul Heyman would want to do. I'm not against having um, managers in general, but I don't necessarily think Nakamura is a guy that needs a manager. I mean, another guy who didn't talk even after Paul Bear left his side was The Undertaker. I mean, The Undertaker The Undertaker is not a great promo. You can go back and watch his promos over the past three or four years. Um, but he's still iconic because the character's iconic. And his, in, his in-ring work rate and everything about him as a wrestler, the other parts of the wrestling is so good that I think that you can just get around having to have him talk. Now, the problem is going to be if they start putting him against people that like uh, can't really wrestle or, or half not going to relate to his style – that gets really weird, and I think that's why they put him against Dolph Ziggler first, because I think that's a that as much as I wasn't looking forward to that matchup, it, it it is a good fit for his first like feud on SmackDown. So I don't know, it's it's going to be kind of weird, uh, you know. Once again, another like the example of that, like you said, you didn't know anything about Okada or Omega at all, but the match was so good by the end of it, you didn't care. You liked both guys. So it just depends. Or if you're going to let them wrestle for 20 minutes, they're probably going to put on a really good match, and people will be really excited about it and really enjoy it. If you let them wrestle for 12 minutes and he has to try to talk for 10 minutes every night on SmackDown, then, yeah, it, it, it might cause problems. It just really depends on how WWE books it. Well, one thing I don't think that people realize, um, and one thing I think that Nakamura has going for him is that I liked all of your examples, and I completely agree, but if we were to be able to understand Japanese and see Nakamura during one of his promos, he is energetic. He is charismatic. I'm sure that, you know, if we understood what he was saying, he would be all over the place, and we'd be completely just gripped in. And there's this thing called learning languages, and he doesn't seem like he's really that horrible right now. So the further along that he's in, you know, this career over here with WWE and the, and especially if he excels like we think that he is and hope that he is, I think he'll learn and he'll be fine. And exactly like you're saying, I mean, if you can have a wrestler that isn't good on the mic, not say much at all, and just have a presence like the Undertaker, uh, well, I can't say he's not good on the mic, but you know what I'm saying. I don't want to – please, dead man, do not hurt me. 
I don't know if you're over hitting the shadows. Anyways, um, but I think that he will be good. And just getting down to it and getting back into it and wrapping into it, that's New Japan Pro Wrestling. I mean, it's amazing. It's a lot of fun. It's different. Um, I would have to say that, I hate to say this in a way too, but they care more about their matches and the quality of their matches, I think, to a degree than over here. Um, uh, with WWE, I love the spectacle that it is WWE and, and, and Raw and SmackDown, and I love what they do. And, but when you're watching New Japan, it seems more like a sporting event. Like you can watch it at a bar with a bunch of people and start going crazy. Um, wrestling doesn't have the same feel. They definitely adopted a lot of other stuff to it. Uh, Broadway, baby. But either way, definitely check out some New Japan wrestling. Like we said, Wrestle Kingdom 11. I know for a fact if you took up Google and put Okada versus Omega, it'll be the first video displayed. It's about, I think, 49 minutes long. If not, maybe a little bit longer. I think it's 49 minutes. Watch it and enjoy New Japan Pro Wrestling. Wow, that was a fun segment. Definitely enjoyed that. And uh, we're going to actually, um, I think we might review the next New Japan uh, pay-per-view. I, I actually don't know when that is. Um, do you have any, do you have information like that in front of you by any chance, Chris? Because I am uh, I do, horribly, I do not, uh, but uh, in, in, in this summer coming, I mean, I think it's either in June or July, which we'll get together after this and hash out all the details and, and throw it up on, on Geek Vibes for everybody, but uh, the G1 tournament's coming, which will be here in the yes. U.S. So I think we'll definitely review it. We'll uh, maybe even cut some videos as opposed to doing some uh, podcasts, or we'll do some mini-podcasts or some uh, some live chats or something uh, just to get it out there uh, and talk about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, I think that everyone, if you get a chance, you know, pay pay the whatever the subscription fee for New Japan is and, and uh, dig in deep. Tons of stuff on their website. Uh, it's totally worth that pass. But uh, yeah, we. I mean, I think we're definitely going to talk about it. I think it's going to be something you want to see. It's probably going to be Omega versus Akata Part Two. So if you dig that match, check it out. Ricochet's in the G1 tournament. So if you're a fan of Prince Puma from Lucha Underground, or you've seen Ricochet's work uh, in other places, then definitely you're going to want to check out his matches. Uh, there's going to be some some good. There's probably going to be some good tag matches with the Young Bucks being there. Um, I would assume that there's going to be a lot a lot of American wrestlers, and there'll be it'll be a good segue um, in some of these cases where you'll probably you'll probably get some people that you're more aware of from Ring of Honor versus some of these New Japan guys like Mato and Ibushi and uh, Goto and. I think it'll be interesting. It's a three-day event, so there's going to be lots of cool stuff to watch. Um, also, if you have access on cable, uh, Friday night, starting at 7 o'clock, they show some of the older events from New Japan. Um, so definitely check check those out, too. Boom! That is a promo. Antonio Noki, you're welcome. Just brought you some more people for that fucking strong-style shit, dog. All right, guys, let's go over some Raw and SmackDown. Um, yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, we played it earlier uh, with his theme. Braun Strowman is out. Uh, now, I just want to, like, let everyone know, because I heard it today. 
from Dave Metzger's mouth, so that's basically gospel uh, when it comes to the wrestling world, that this is actually a shoot, um, that Braun will be back probably by summertime, and he's not going to be actually out for six months. So I'm happy to hear that because I know that that's going to suck for a wrestler. I watched a documentary last night, the one that they were talking about, actually, even though they let Finn Balor lose, whatever. Um, uh, Finn Balor and he, him dealing with his six months of recovery in between his injuries. And, man, it just – when you watch stuff like that, it's like they become your friends and shit, even though they're not. And you're like, man, that sucks. Uh, so I'm glad it's less time, and I want to see him in the spotlight again. I think he's becoming a great wrestler. He's one of my favorite growing wrestlers. Last year, he's learned a fuckload, um, and I enjoy his, his his overwhelming warmth and teddy bear presence. But uh, get better, Braun, and uh, we'll see you hopefully by Summer Slam. Probably coming out and destroying Roman Reigns and doing something with a uh, you know um, emergency vehicle. Anyways, so the show opened up on Raw with Kurt Angle explaining that Braun Strowman shattered his. Uh, shattered his elbow and required surgery, and that he may be out for six months. Angle asks who will now challenge Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship, and all hell broke loose. So first we had, of course, the man who did it, Mr. Uh, whatchamacallit, uh, I'm blanking on his fucking name, Roman Reigns. Anyways, wow. I forgot Roman Reigns' name. Hey. Anyways, Roman Reigns. Um, he comes out and he says, basically, hey, I'm the one who hurt Strowman, even though he beat me, and I also retired The Undertaker, so I should do it. And Finn Balor has to come out and explain, hey, guys, I have a fucking belt. I want it. I want it, and I got injured during the match, finished my match, and won the match. So technically, I should do this. So, of course, if you follow suit, Samoa Joe comes out. Uh, by the way, I forgot to say that before all of them came out, uh, Kurt Angle basically said that in place for the upcoming pay-per-view for Extreme Rules, uh, we will have all five of these competitors in the ring together, which I'm actually looking forward to. Um, Smojo comes out, starts talking to the same bullshit. Bray Wyatt then comes on the monitor, and he starts, you know, saying his Bray Wyatt shit. Roman Reigns, or uh, Seth Rollins cuts him off, and all of them are yelling at each other, and then all hell breaks loose. Uh, you have Seth Rollins, uh, you know, going after Samoa Joe. Everyone's fighting and stuff like that. And Kurt Angle breaks it up. And he says, Balor, you're going against Roman Reigns. Um, Seth Rollins, you're going against Bray Wyatt for the first time. And Samoa Joe, basically, fuck off. Uh, I thought it was a really good opener. I think it's a very smart, safe plan for them to do this. Um, because of the position they're in, obviously. Uh, I don't know who's going to be sacrificed because, man, I really want Finn to go all the way, but I feel like this is going to be either Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins that will get the next push uh, to whatever past this. Um, but we'll see. How did you feel about this opening, Chris? Uh, the opening itself, I thought was was pretty good. With it, Kurt has played this GM role like someone would actually play it. Like if it was a real sport, and you or like boxing or UFC, you would do a press con. I was almost sad that they didn't do a press conference or something and just show that. 
um, earlier in the week or, or something to that nature, just to clear the air about whether it was a work or, or not. Um, but this this took place in that, and uh, it builds it builds a match that's interesting in concept. Uh, I I hate, I think I'm going to hate it because I hate three way matches. Uh, and this mm-hmm. is the same sense where you have five guys, so there's always one guy that's just laid out, which shouldn't be a big deal, but it's it's gets annoying after a while. You're always going to have one guy laying down on the side of the ring. And I'm sure people have heard Stone Cold talk about the same thing. Um, so I'm just reiterating that sentiment. But uh, my only worry about this is on their, well, I don't know if they actually care about it, but the Extreme Rules card itself, they've just stacked everything to the main event. So this match is going to have to be pretty special because you're not going to get any of the mid-card feud matches that you normally would get out of this. You're not going to get the, the rematch between Samoa Joe and Seth Rollins that we probably thought we were going to get. Uh, you're not going to get the Braun Strowman, uh, Roman Reigns match for obvious reasons. Um, and like you said, one of these people are going to be kind of left out in the wind. Uh, I think it makes the most sense probably, I hate to say it, but they're probably going to have Roman Reigns win this match. Because when... When Braun comes back, you've got to have someone to face. So that's, I mean, that's the obvious build towards it, right? Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they go a different route and they, they, uh, they give it to Seth Rollins or or uh, Samoa Joe. It, it could be interesting either way. Depends on when Braun's coming back. If they give it to someone like Samoa Joe and they build him as a monster the same way they they built Braun the you know four or five months before he wrestled. Uh, Reigns for the first time. I still think you can get that that point across and make him a, a legitimate challenger for someone like Brock Lesnar. The problem with Brock Lesnar is, is, you know, short of him getting destroyed by Goldberg, they've put him over pretty strong overall. I think he's, you know, he lost to John Cena and he's lost to Triple H, but for the most part, he's been pretty dominant and hasn't really taken any losses. So they're they're kind of in a weird spot where they've protected Lesnar to an extent, and they were protecting Braun. And they protected Roman, so now it's like, well, Strowman's not there, and you got your choices are Reigns or Samoa Joe, and I think that's why they ended up doing the the five way match because they can. It doesn't. It's not going to matter who gets the pin. It's not going to be their fault. You can sell it as like uh, whoever they want to keep strong. They're going to make them look strong by not taking the pin. My worry is that they're going to put that pin on Finn Balor, which I don't like. So we'll see, but that's, I mean, as far as opening segment goes and, and what was said and the work inside the ring and outside the ring and then the follow-up interviews that Kurt had um, after the fact where he built these matches, because I know he talked about some of this stuff in the back um, as well. I thought that was all good stuff, and I, I really liked Kurt Angle as far as the GM, and they totally took, well, I wouldn't say they took what we were saying, but they definitely went the route of what we were originally hoping, which is he's like, yeah, this is a wrestling company. Solve that shit in the ring. Let's not let's not be political about it. Get in the ring and kick each other's ass. And whoever wins wins, which I've appreciated. So, from that standpoint, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I think that the five way also allows them to further mini feuds within that match for you know later on. Like like you said with Seth and Samoa Joe, we'll probably see more of that. Uh, maybe Bray Wyatt does something to Finn Balor to screw him over, kind of bringing out more of that feud. So I think it's a safe alternative, but I do completely agree with you and Stone Cold Steve Austin about 
when there's an odd man out, it's noticeable. Um, look at the Royal Rumble once it's like that sometimes, is that one guy's basically licking the fucking, you know, ring post on one side of the ring pretending that he's hurt and waiting for an opportunity to actually be able to do something. It just gets sloppy. It's hard to be able to prep for stuff like that. But uh, we'll find out. Let's go to the uh, – the, I'm going to go through three matches, and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about those three matches. Um, Jeff Hardy went against Sheamus. He defeated him. Uh, it was a good match. Uh, Sheamus seemed like he was holding back a little bit on his intensity. I noticed that. Um, maybe that's just me. But uh, Hardy was able to pin Sheamus after hitting him with a swan time bomb. Um, yeah, good match. Uh, we've seen it. That's my biggest fucking thing is that we've seen it. Um, I'm hoping that I'm, – I'm assuming that Cesaro is going to go against Matt Hardy next week, and then they're going to fight each other. I hope that they figure out some more stuff to do with these guys is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I don't agree with this one. I have a problem with this one, this loss, uh, more so than the Finn Balor one. Uh, but Alicia Fox defeated Sasha Banks clean. Uh, Fox hit her with a scissor kick. Fucking Booker T's move right in front of him. Um, I don't understand the booking on that. I mean, there should have been something. You had Norm Dar there. He could have, like, distracted so it wasn't really clean, you know. That was a huge bank statement, if you will. But uh, And then the Intercontinental Championship match. Just a great match between Miz and Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose is really good when someone's at his speed and can move around with them, and he's continually getting better since that comment, coincidentally, from The Miz uh, a couple weeks back. But um, Ambrose kicked out of the skull-crushing finale and avoided Maurice and The Miz attempting to basically hit him in the balls. And when he noticed that he was going to do that, he got pissed off and right in front of the referee kicked him in the balls and then got mad at the referee, even though he still has his title, the fact that the ref called it, um, even though he blatantly kicked him in the balls. How did you like these matches going down, Christopher? All right, so we're going down. So from the Miz down, that's what we're saying. Um, well, you can do like, Jeff like Hardy. It like, doesn't matter. Okay. All right, well, all right, we'll start with the Jeff Hardy and Sheamus uh, match. Uh, the sentiment's the same for me with this as you, is that we've seen the match, and we've seen um, they did this before the last tag title match. So and the problem here is that Sheamus and Cesaro haven't really won any of these matches which is where it gets kind of weird, especially now that they've turned heel. You think they would have been able to cheat themselves to a win. Uh, I don't know if they're just building. Originally, I thought they were going to put the title on Sheamus and Cesaro, but I almost feel like this is a build-up to an implosion now between those two and then them going back their separate ways. Maybe Cesaro not necessarily agreeing with this mentality of being a heel or or what they're doing, but it, it seems like they're putting them in a holding pattern until the revival gets back. So I, from that standpoint, I, I think that, you know, if I, if I was booking it now that you have this five-way uh, match, I would try putting some of these heels with Cesaro and Sheamus and see if they can get a rub. Like maybe Samoa Joe versus, you know, uh, Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy, and one of the other contenders preferably Seth Rollins or Finn Balor, obviously, in that said scenario. But uh, something like that, instead of just doing another singles match, I think would be better. 
or do, you know, like a four-way tag match or, or something weird. Just do something different than having a singles match between a match between uh, Matt and Cesaro, which I, I think that's what they're going with. Match itself was fine. Um, yeah, I mean, we already I, – I shit on Seamus last time we were talking about this, the build-up to this match where he kicked Jeff Hardy's tooth out. Um, so, yeah, and I – I thought that was a, I thought that was decent. The Alicia Fox match was kind of a surprise. It, it almost made me look at the screen and be like, "Who did Sasha Banks piss off to get put in the scenario where she's getting beat by Alicia Fox?" I don't know if they're doing this weird relationship Alicia Fox. to try to get uh, try to get more people watch 205 Live because most of her appearances in storyline has been on 205 Live. Uh, it hasn't been on Chris, at all. So it's a- Chris, I didn't even know she was a wrestler until she started wrestling with the women's division a couple weeks ago. I had no idea. I thought she was just a manager for Norm Dar. I'm pretty sure that she is a former Divas champion during the time period that you weren't watching wrestling in which your Divas oh. were, uh, I don't want to say bad wrestlers, but the wrestling was not as focused on. You had two-minute matches. So the title changes were really weird. Um, uh, you had some good wrestlers there. You had Beth Phoenix. You had Natalia Hart. You had, uh, you know, Kim at one point and and uh, Mick James. So I'm not saying that there were you know a bunch of bad wrestlers there, but it, it, it was a down period for the Divas division when she was a Diva champion. Um, that being said, I want to give her props for hitting a damn good looking Northern Lights suplex and. Also, props for uh, hitting the scissor kick as a finisher. I didn't know that was her finisher. I don't think that used to be her finisher. I think she had something else. But uh, that's a good, it's a good kind of call out to Booker T. I, I enjoyed that. I don't know if that was planned ahead of time or not. But uh, for Sasha Banks, I don't know what this means for her. Uh, I I don't know if they scrapped the idea of turning her heel. I don't I don't know where, I don't know where they're going with it. So it's interesting. Also, I noticed like we didn't see any of the other divas. Uh, or I won't. I don't want to say divas anymore. Female wrestlers uh, this week at all. We didn't see Nia Jax. Uh, we didn't see Mick James, uh, which I, I I kind of assumed that they would be working a match against each other on the pre card or something uh, to this pay per view, just because they're going to have to do something there uh, with everybody being in this five way match. But yeah, the match itself was okay. Just kind of surprising uh, overall. I, I was surprised by the outcome. And not even because I'm a huge uh, Sasha Banks fan. It's just they built her up as a, as a big star. And then to lose to Alicia Fox, it kind of degrades her value unless they're going to start to make her go on a losing streak, which I always hate the idea of. They've done this a couple times with people. I, I think that they think if people lose, the fans will become bigger fans of them and want them to win uh, just because it happened with Daniel Bryan. But I think Daniel Bryan was kind of an anomaly to taking losses and still being over as hell. So I don't I don't think it's a good idea if that's what they're going for. But uh the following match, Miz versus Ambrose. I liked the match, thought it was good. I liked the finish of the match with Dean Ambrose. You know, he's so crazy he doesn't care if he wins or loses, so he kicks kicks Miz in the dick, which was pretty funny. And uh, I think they might be putting this title on on the Miz for a little bit, so I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out. The the Miz has consistently been one of my favorite wrestlers this year. Uh, I do want to see him and Dean Ambrose get away from each other for a little bit. 
I think it would be good for Dean to feud with someone like Samoa Joe, maybe coming out of this five-way or just something else other than what he's been doing, or maybe even feud with uh, Seth Rollins or, or Roman Reigns. He can kind of play he, – he can play a tweener character. When he was in uh, CZW, he was, he was more of a heel, like an outlandish-type crazy heel character. So it would be cool to see him maybe have a, have a turn or – or something. I'm just kind of stale on Dean Ambrose as the crazy guy. and They have this fastball pay-per-view coming up, and I feel like they're somehow going to tie this in to Dean Ambrose as the one who came up with the idea because the name's so fucking bad. And I, that I hate. So, oh, that's you're a, right. That's my, <laughs> that's my feelings on these, these three matches. Like They're going to make him be GM for a night and be like, hey, yo, we should just call it fastball. And he's going to sing like, Wait, wait, or, or isn't it balls Great Balls of Fire? Is that what it's called? Great Balls of Fire? Fat yeah. Balls of actual Great Balls name. of Fucking Fire. What the hell is that? So you that? know this is just going to be him singing Jerry Lee Lewis. And then he's like, oh, we should call it pay-per-view that. It's totally going to be what happens in some form. It's just suck. So heads up to everybody. We see Dean Ambrose as a GM talking about pay-per-views and singing Jerry Lee Lewis, just change the channel for five minutes and then come back and realize that there's going to be a pay-per-view with a really shitty name. Instead of pinning that on him, they should just send out the writers who came up with that fucking idea and let the crowd bury him because it doesn't help him at all to be the guy that came up with the name. I know. We'll call it Great Balls of Fire because I have the great balls. Yep, Vince. That's a good idea. Um, clearing that was a very smart idea for a pay-per-view name. Hey, here's an idea. Why can't we take back some old names of pay-per-views that we used to, you know, use back in the day, like, I don't know, like a fucking Vengeance instead of these stupid-ass ones, like Great Balls of Fire. Like, Jesus. Armageddon, maybe. That's a war. Great Balls of Fire. That's a song from Jerry Lee Lewis. Anyways, I'm going to keep on going. Uh... So I'll go over a couple more things and then throw them to you in a very nice way, Christopher. But uh, Alexa Bliss cut a badass promo. She said that New York is the sweat gland of America, that they are the poster children for failure. She is so good at dealing with the crowd, too, and the what chance. If your failures say what? Exactly. Like, I love it. I, I think she is amazing. I love Alexa Bliss. Her promo is great. Uh, she said she's the goddess of WWE. She was interrupted by Bailey, who came to confront her, of course. Her fucking cheery music and shit. Uh, man, I just sound like an angry old man, like when we're talking about Bailey and New Day and Enzo. And Yeah, anyways, the confrontation turned physical and Alexa produced a Kinzo stick that was so happened to be right underneath the, uh, the ring poking out for her and hit Bailey with it. Um, afterwards, backstage, the Miz uh, complained to Kurt Angle, um, which was a funny ass segment. And I really hope I kind of want to see Kurt Angle and the Miz go at it because they always Miz is always bitching at Kurt Angle. So I kind of want him to snap at him. Like I hope the Miz maybe does get that Intercontinental title and that keeps on going forward. Um, but anyways, he basically sets up the match uh, at Extreme Rules between uh, the Miz. And Dean Ambrose. I like that also how he came by. Like, the Miz comes up to Kurt Angle, and he's like, did you have fun? And the Miz is like, no, I, I didn't have fun. I lost my, my fucking opportunity at the title. What are you talking about? But I, I just love Kurt Angle. So there's going to be a fucking non-extreme 
match, basically, as Extreme Rules. Um, and uh, the stipulation, basically, is the title can change hands if there is a disqualification. I don't even understand how the fuck that makes sense. Actually, Chris, just based off uh, Alexis' promo and then Miz backstage, how'd you feel about both those things? Uh, Miz and Angle together is hilarious. I really enjoyed that. Uh, and it makes sense from the standpoint that now Miz is really good at cheating. Dean Ambrose, not so much. That's the storyline that they're trying to build. Dean Ambrose is just crazy, so he can lose the title clean, and you can pass it over to the Miz with no problem. That's probably what they'll end up going with. I mean, you could even get a situation where you have Miz's manager, uh, Maurice, smack the Miz and that, in turn, would disqualify Dean Ambrose and cost him the title. If I was booking it, I would book a like, two-second match in which the ref rings the bell, Maurice smacks the Miz or hits him with a chair or something, and he wins the title, and it was all part of their plan all along. <laughs> and then have Kurt Angle come That's out and brilliant. reset the match. <laughs> because that's the kind of chicken shit stuff that the Miz would do. Um, so I, I kind of like that concept. I don't, I don't hate it. It depends on what they do with it. I think that they could do some really cool stuff with it. It's not like Kurt Angle can't just come back out and restart the match. So the Miz could continue to cheat to win, and Kurt Angle can come out and restart the match over and over and over again. And I think that would be a really funny, unique thing that we haven't really seen done in a while. And then you can further build heat between the Miz and Kurt Angle until the Miz maybe actually wins it clean finally or something, which would be which would be kind of cool. Um, Alexa Bliss, I thought her promo was pretty good. Uh, she shit on New Jersey a little bit from too much for my liking, but that crowd was uh, that crowd was the crowd was overall shitty this whole night uh, during the cruiserweight match. They were especially assholes to the point where I think Austin Aries went on Twitter and said that he fucking hated New Jersey. So. Oh, good job, guys. You pissed off Austin Aries. Great. Um, so, yeah, her promo was good. She dealt with the crowd well. The crowd was not into, to me, they they weren't into Bailey. The kids that were there seemed to be into Bailey, but the crowd in general, once again this week, didn't seem very much into Bailey. Uh, I like Bailey okay. I'm not huge on her. I think I give her a little bit more credit because I watched some of her good, really good matches in NXT. Uh, so I can't go full shit heel like like Dane when I'm talking about her, but yeah, she's not really doing anything for me right now. Um, seeing Bailey go extreme is just, it's like such a weird concept for her character. She's, her character should never be the type of person that, that becomes the heel. I, I'm just glad they didn't go the route of where they were talking about, um, like she's never kissed a boy before. I assumed that they were just going to keep doing that until, like, she finally kissed someone, and that was, like, the whole storyline. And then she won, which would have been terrible. So, yeah. So, So at least they didn't go that route. Uh, I like Lexa Bliss okay. It's just, you know, she's hard. She's just not very believable for me as a champion just because of her size. But, uh She's been good on the mic and interesting to watch. And she is way more aggressive than Bailey. So <laughs> it's just going to be weird when she goes against someone like Mickey James or Nia Jax. I don't know how she will uh, 
be as believable unless she adds some moves to her arsenal or, or becomes really good at cheating like the Miz. Uh, just something to give her character a little bit of an edge because, I mean, she beat Bailey clean. And she, I mean, yes, she pushed her into the turnbuckle, but the turnbuckle is the legal part of the ring. It wasn't anything dirty. She didn't take the pad off first or anything crazy like that. She literally pushed her into the corner, picked her up, gave her ass to DDT, and won the title. So, yep, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Yep, completely agree. Um, all right, well, we're going to talk about that tag match, actually, you were just talking about. I thought that I thought that did suck because, dude, these guys, especially if you're invested like I am and actually watch 205 Live, which I do watch, um, they're fucking badasses. Like, Neville's one of the best heels that we have right now in WWE, honestly, with his new persona that he's got. He's completely intimidating, doing everything great. Jack Gallagher's great. Austin Aries is amazing. He should be, you know, I, I think past this uh, cruiserweight division, but whatever. Um, and, you know, TJP, uh, he's good. He's a good in-ring worker. Uh, but I, I hate the audience and how they'll get too in control or think that they can control, basically, the show. I think that kind of sucks. And it is why I was saying that about the Japanese culture and how they are in the stands, because they are so different from us. They don't interrupt stuff with a what chant and let someone, like, not even talk who's trying to get better at the mic or, uh, you know, saying CM Punk for some fucking reason when they're not even in Chicago. So that type of shit does piss me off. But uh, this was a good match, and uh, Neville held Gallagher's leg, allowing TJP to hit an avalanche and a detonation kick to get the pin. Uh, Anyways, also in the backstage, going back to the things with Alexa Bliss and Bailey. Kurt Angle made a kendo stick on a pole match between Alexa Bliss and Bailey at Extreme Rules. And I have to say that I was um, away from my TV and I was just listening at this point. And I hear it, and also, I, like, I, I, I hear uh, Bailey go, and I, maybe this is just me, but Bailey starts going, like, I'm ready to get extreme. And Kurt Angle's like, are you ready to get extreme? And, like, afterwards, I'm like, this sounds like a fucking porno. Like, what the hell are they talking about? And it's a kendo stick on a fucking pole match. When's the last time they did a pole match? Does Vince Russo have anything to do with this? Are we going to get a Judy Bagwell on a fucking stretcher match next? Like, what the hell is that all about? All right, that's fine. I mean, so far we had two matches now announced for Extreme Rules. One of them, you can't fucking get disqualified or do anything because you lose your title. And now this one, it's kind of extreme, but you get to get off a pole. So when you get off the pole, does that mean that the match is over? Because then what the fuck's going on the kendo stick? I don't know any of this stuff, WWE. It makes my head hurt. Let's go to the last part that I want to talk to you about, Chris, from the segment of Raw. Roman Reigns defeated Finn Balor. All right, I actually told you, and I, I feel the same way even though I watched it a second time. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I don't know why it's a big deal if Finn wins either since Roman was hurt. But I don't think it should have been a clean win to to an extent. I understand, all right, Roman Reigns, he's a monster. He just injured the guy that had been messing with him for a long time. Actually injured himself on an ambulance door, but whatever. Um, you know, and he also took out The Undertaker. He has his claims to fame. 
But Finn's rising right now. You're giving him a lot of momentum. And I kind of slam it. Even if it's got to be someone, I'm okay with Roman Reigns more so than any, than most other people. Do you feel that same way, Chris? Yeah, I'm actually okay with it. I was, I was okay with the match in general. I, I thought that this would have been a, another good spot for Samoa Joe because he doesn't necessarily like Finn Balor either. I mean, Samoa Joe, Samoa Joe doesn't like either of these guys because Roman Reigns technically is a good guy, so he, he shouldn't give a shit about either of these people. I thought this was the perfect opportunity for Joe to blast both of them with a chair towards the end of the match or something as opposed to just having Roman Reigns win. I think it makes Roman Reigns look strong, which I think they're just building towards that Braun match, that Lesnar match. I don't think they're looking at these individual characters right now, which was what I was saying earlier. I hope that this doesn't affect Finn negatively. Um, And someone we haven't talked about, I mean, Bray Wyatt was there. I don't understand. Like, Bray could have done something in this match as well. I mean, Joe came out. We didn't even talk about that match, but Joe came out and helped Bray, right? Or interfered in that match. What was what was the the other match? Because that's the last. There match, was one actually, guy, the Seth Rollins uh, and Bray Wyatt match. Yeah. So if you're building yeah, the, the feud between Bray and if you're building the feud between Bray and Finn, and, and you're building feuds in this match in general, you don't necessarily need Roman Reigns to win clean. It's not like people don't win by disqualification disqualification on Raw like every single week. Um, and while I hate it, I think this would have been the perfect opportunity to do that and kind of give them an out. But uh, I had no problem with it. I mean, Finn still looked strong. It, it wasn't like Roman absolutely buried him or anything. It was a damn good match. I, it actually was for Roman working with someone as small as Finn Balor. Finn Balor's, like, cut a lot of weight because of his injury. So it was interesting to see. Uh, kind of showed that, you know, Roman can kind of do – he can do a lot. I think people underestimate uh, – his in-ring ability a lot of times. And I think a lot of it has to do with the same thing Cena used to have, which is his move set. And if he can maybe go to the John Cena school and learn just some different things or a way to take your opponent's moves or, or just something to make you look like you're uh, doing more than just going through the paces, I think that would help him a lot as far as in the audience's eyes of being a really, really good wrestler. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a good match, especially for a Raw match. I, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Uh, so we have a sad thing that happened next, Chris. Uh, Golden Truth is done. Uh, I really like this whole thing because you have Goldust on the back, like trying to really pump up our truth, and our truth takes blame for their loss the week before. And then Goldust gets them to come out, and they do their whole entire thing. And then Gold Dust attacks the shit out of him and comes up to him and goes, that's what's up. And just throws some microphone down. Um, I'm kind of hoping that what they're doing is not just building up Gold Dust versus R-Truth. If they do have a match, I hope it's like a match where Gold Dust annihilates and comes out on top and fake puts out R-Truth. I would like to see Gold Dust get, uh, you know, not one of the – the heavyweight builds, God forbid, but, um, you know, just a mid-card belt and have a nice reign as a heel because I'm assuming that Dustin Rhodes has to be on his way out. I mean, just based on age and everything, he looks great, but, you know, just thinking about the future. So I always like Gold Dust as a heel. Uh, I think that he works pretty damn creepy as a heel. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And also uh, Enzo Moore and Big Cass made their entrance. 
but they were interrupted by Titus O'Neil and Apollo Crews, the Titus brand. Titus said that Apollo would beat Enzo, uh, but he didn't realize that fucking Big Cass was going against him. Um, so they went against each other. Um, Big Cass defeated Titus O'Neil. Titus had to wrestle in his suit uh, because he wasn't prepared. Enzo distracted O'Neil, and Cass hit a big boot to get the pin. After the match, Enzo went to take a selfie with Titus' phone, and Apollo hit him with an enziguri. Uh So not only did you get to see Titus O'Neil get his ass kicked, but you also got to see Enzo get his ass kicked. It was great. Uh, a lot of comedy. I'm, I'm actually liking the Titus brand bullshit just because it gives a good wrestler like Apollo Crews something to do for now. Hopefully they'll fucking figure out something in the long haul. But uh, between uh, Golden Truth now not being so golden – and what happened between Big Kaz and Titus? How did you feel about those things, Chris? I honestly was I was fine with the uh, with breaking up the Golden Truth just because they haven't done anything with those guys. I was actually hoping it was going to be the other way around, um, with our Truth beating up Goldust. Not because I don't like Goldust as a heel, uh, Goldust played a great heel in the 90s. He's, he's good at the, the character. It can be really cool um, heel character, but if you watch TNA at all and you saw Ron Killings heel run when he was in TNA, uh, R-Truth, if he dropped the R-Truth name, dropped the funny business and was just a serious, like, badass wrestler again and started going by Ron Killings as opposed to R-Truth, I think that they could have, they could have like, a really – good mid-card heel, maybe even a top heel if they if they ever can rotate Brock Lesnar out of the picture. Um, so I, I was I, – I, but I thought it was cool. I enjoyed it. I, I mean, they obviously had to do something to put a match on the card. So I would assume this is going to be an Extreme Rules match. So it makes sense from that standpoint. Uh, but it also, it also hurts the tag team division a little bit just because there's like, what, three tag teams, four tag teams now? Unless they're going to put Titus O'Neil and uh, Apollo Crews together, you have uh, Enzo and Cass. You have Rhino and Heath Slater, who haven't really wrestled other than in that tournament last week. And then uh, you have the two going for the title right now with Sheamus and Cesaro and the Hardys. And then the Revival are on the shelf for a little bit. So it's just it's weird that they're phasing out a, a tag team, but it, it makes sense in this scenario, I guess. I would I would appreciate it more if they did more tag team wrestling and, and kind of less of the talking segments or uh, more cruiserweight re- wrestling and less of the talking segments. But the fans keep burying the cruiserweight wrestling, so people are just pissing me off repeatedly. It's um, bullshit, man. I it, mean, that's how it is. But let's get to then, the, um, uh, the last match. Oh, what were you going to say? I'm sorry, yeah. Chris. Uh, as far as Tyson O'Neill and uh, uh, Apollo Crews... I think it makes sense. I don't know where they're going with it. Uh, it's going to build up to a match where you have Apollo Crews versus Titus O'Neil, I would assume, at some point. Or maybe not. Maybe they make them a tag team against Enzo and Caster and just have them be like kind of the new comedy tag team. It seems like they always want one comedy tag team. I think they keep forgetting that they have Rhino and Heath Slater. Or either that or one of them's injured or uh, Rhino is busy or something because I, th- I feel like that can be your comedy tag team. You don't necessarily need to put uh, Titus O'Neil and Apollo Crews there. 
I kind of wish that uh, Titus O'Neil was playing more of a manager role in helping Cruz get wins over big names. I think that would be a better way to take that. But uh, as far as Enzo getting kicked in the face, I love that fucking hate Enzo. Say it each week. I'm on the podcast. <laughs> I'm not a fan of fucking Enzo. Not because of his personality, not because of his promo skills, just because I don't think he's a great wrestler. <laughs> and um, the stick is kind of old for me at this point. At least with, like, the New Age Outlaws, you knew you were going to get a good match out of it afterwards. With Enzo and Cass, I know I'm going to get the same match, but I saw, like, 100 times. But, I mean, I guess that's kind of my problem with it. If they at least would change it up, maybe, like, uh, Cass is the one taking the beating and Enzo gets the hot tag, or I don't know. They just need to do something different. They're very stale to me, uh, and <laughs> I'm not sure with it. Not feeling it. Uh, you know they you don't know just do this the... whole generic thing. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Uh, you know what? You know what Enzo needs really? He needs a set of brass knuckles. Well, I feel like that would work with his character. And like Cass, for the longest time, could just play like the big dumb Cass character that he's been playing this entire time, and not know that Enzo is cheating to get them wins. And just see what do we got over here? Level. A couple brass knuckles. So, yeah, I think that that's something they should be doing. I don't even know, man. Um, I'm just I agree with you. Here, Both of them should be managers. Yeah, Titus, Titus and Enzo should be managers of those guys. Uh, and I think I'd be okay with it. Actually, I don't hate Titus. And it, the one thing about Titus is he kind of looks ridiculous next to Paul Cruz because he's like towers over him. Uh, but I always, I like the idea of, Apollo Crews becoming Apollo Creed, if you will, and Titus is like his manager and gets him to like the next focus of his gimmick of just being Apollo, Apollo, you know, just, just rip off the character completely. Just do it. Your fucking first name is Apollo. Just do it similar to him. Act really fucking boastful and shit like that. It'll be great. Let's get to the, the uh, final match on Raw. Uh, Seth Rollins defeated Bray Wyatt because Samoa Joe's dick, and after a good match, he came over, and he attacked him. And then afterwards, Joe and Wyatt had a stare down. Then they teamed up, put the boots to Rollins. Then Wyatt backed up from Samoa Joe, who I don't know why you would allow Bray Wyatt to get behind you, and gave him the sister Abigail and then uh, Rollins the sister Abigail. And Bray Wyatt was left there, very ominous president, evil as shit, grinning like an idiot. How would you feel about this, Chris? Uh, I thought the match was fine. I think it was weird that they chose to do the interference spot here. That's kind of what I was talking about earlier. I know Samoa Joe hates Seth Rollins, but there's no reason why you couldn't have had him interfere in both matches or something. Or I don't know. It's weird that you have like, – it, it kind of makes Bray Wyatt the wild card in this match, like a tweener at least, where, you know, he's not friends with the bad guys and he's definitely not friends with the good guys. He's kind of just doing his own thing, and he really doesn't like Finn Balor for some reason. So it's a, that from that standpoint, it's intriguing. Uh, Bray just hasn't been doing it for me lately either. Uh, I just, I hope they cut out some of the over the top myths with his character. And I don't say that a lot with characters like Bray Wyatt, but his just is like, I don't understand what his gimmick is right now. Uh, he has like magic but, like, Randy Orton stole his magic. Hey, man, I got some magic, man, you know? 
Oh, yeah. You know, y'all remember because Randy Orton stuck the crucifix in the ground at Sister Abigail's burn place, and that was supposed to take all Bray Wyatt's powers. And then as we saw at WrestleMania, Bray Wyatt still has powers. So I'm assuming we're going to get some of that in the match, and I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. Also, he can teleport. I think he's like a – he's kind of weird on how he teleports, though, because he, uh, you know, he he's like kind of like a – Nightcrawler, he can only teleport to places he's been before. You don't ever see him teleport backstage. He can only teleport to, like, announce tables into the ring. <laughs> that's, that's it. I think it would be really too, funny man. if they had him teleport, to a, teleport into a closet or something one day. <laughs> he gets stuck in there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I like Bray Wyatt's promos. I, I think he's a decent in-ring worker. I think he did listen to some of what Stone Cold said on his podcast because he seemed to do some more, like, grappling and uh, wear-down type heel moves, which I appreciated. Um, and overall, I thought the match was okay. Uh, and it, it builds feuds. So, from that standpoint, I, th- I think it was fine. I just – I'm looking forward to the Bray and Finn Balor thing. I just hope it doesn't get too – out there and the way it did with the Randy Orton Finn Balor deal it's crazy because they give like they're doing this with Bray Wyatt and they already have if you want to have the the out there crazy character they've already bought the rights for Matt Hardy's or have started to buy the rights for Matt Hardy's broken gimmick which is more of what they're trying to do with Bray Wyatt Bray Wyatt doesn't really need that I liked the just the crazy, almost serial killer cult leader thing when he had the Wyatt family. So, I don't know. Eric Rowan took a picture of uh, what a lot of people are thinking is Sister Abigail, which is kind of a weird thing that happened on Twitter today. So, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Um, I don't think that Bray Wyatt's going to win this five-way match, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do with his character. And I, I'm kind of interested to see if Samoa Joe has any further interactions with him. So from that standpoint, at least it at least it kind of hooked me in a sense of wanting to see where they go next with it. Yeah, I think that out of the five way, I would rather see, like you were suggesting earlier, of Samoa Joe kind of coursing down and actually going becoming the guy that they're now going to go to over Roman Reigns to face Brock Lesnar eventually. And then maybe Braun Strowman comes and attacks Samoa Joe or Brock, whoever wins that match afterwards to set up the next part at SummerSlam, I'm assuming. Um, But I also want to see Bray go against Finn. I I want to see the two of them uh, interact. I I get what you're saying, and I am kind of worried about that too. Um, But if fantasy booking, man, like I said, if I were to have it, he faces uh, Finn – I don't know if he beats him necessarily or if he takes over the demon, but at some point Finn's completely evil working for Bray Wyatt, and maybe you get Eric Rowan back involved, kind of build him up more, and then they feud with the Hardy Boys. And uh, Matt Hardy actually recently said that he would love – he definitely wants to work with Bray, and he knows his brother wants to work with Seth Rollins and uh, what should we call it, Finn Balor really bad. So – I mean, you just got the pieces. All you got to do is listen to us. You listen to us, obviously, WWE, about the Kurt Angle thing. So just keep on listening to us. We'll just give you the uh, the cues, and uh, you don't have to pay us. It would be nice, but, you know, whatever. I'm not paying you. Anyways, let's go to SmackDown. 
All right, the show opened with United States champion, greatest, the greatest United States member that's not from the United States, Kevin Owens, commandeering uh, Chris Jericho's highlight reel talk show and making it his own. He promised that Jericho would never be seen again uh, before being interrupted by his opponents at Backlash this Sunday, AJ Styles. When he was there, to actually interview someone completely different. Styles was interrupted by that person, Mr. Jinder Mahal, uh, who is actually going against AJ Styles in a match later on that we'll talk about, uh, who promised to beat both Styles tonight and Randy Orton this Sunday for the WWE World Championship. Um, And next, we actually have that match. Jinder Mahal defeated AJ Styles, this match was featured Kevin Owens on commentary, which that whole thing is amazing. Uh, I, I love whatever his name is and the other guy. Whatever they're 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 talking and like talking shit about Kevin Owens, like yeah, I, I hope that AJ Styles. I think he'll be a good person to be the U.S. champion, and you know the whole entire time KO just being a dick. Great stuff, hilarious. Um, Styles was uh, preparing to hit the phenomenal forearm on Mahal, but Owens hit him in the knee with the United States belt. While the referee was distracted by one of the Singh brothers, Mahal then hit Styles with the Cobra Clutch Slam for the victory. How did you feel about this, Christopher? All right. First and foremost, I'm going to say the Cobra Clutch Slam is almost as lame as the Bailey to the belly to Bailey. And Bailey to Bailey, like, he should just do the Cobra Clutch. I don't – there's no reason why he's not just doing the Cobra Clutch I, I, or, or just something else. So that finisher looks lame. Uh, okay, now that I got that out of the way. Uh, Kevin Owens, uh, I, he's hilarious on commentary. I think they're doing it too much, and it'll start to bother people after a while. I do like that he's taking the highlight reel back because you're building down the line to when Chris Jericho eventually comes back because he is now a member of the SmackDown roster. So when he's done with his tour, if they want to have the rebound match between him and Kevin Owens, they have that. That's something they can keep in their pocket. Whether he's the champion or not, it, it, it won't matter. Um, AJ Styles and seeing the match itself, it, was, it made sense from the standpoint of, like, there was a lot of interference and then AJ Styles lost, but I think it made a lot of people mad that AJ Styles lost to uh, the way he did. So... It's it's weird. I get where they're going with it, and I like uh, I like everything that Kevin Owens has been doing since he came to SmackDown. It's just weird that these two guys are in the title hunt for the U.S. title and not the heavyweight title. To me, it's still not sitting right. But I get where they're going with it. It's just I honestly could care less about Randy Orton um, versus Jinder Mahal. So it's became the main focal point of SmackDown uh, each week. So. It made sense to get Jinder Mahal in there and maybe get, like, a heel rub from Kevin Owens. Like, I guess that's what they were going for. I mean, it's, Chris, it's not like, you know, KO and AJ Styles were the championships for their brands last time, you know, last year. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways, let's keep on going. We have another episode of the woo-woo Fashion Files. Uh, this time with Tyler Breeze going undercover as a janitor to spy on the Uggos. 
My God, these these things were hilarious. I I love the writing. I know that they're ridiculous and they take away from the wrestling. But when it's like funny like this, I I enjoy this shit. Um, I I just love how they were going back and forth and that they were going over like fashion tragedies and they had like. Uh, Sammy Zayn's his underwear was the exact same as his shirt, and then you have that part where Brazongo doesn't know what it is and he smells it, and then Tyler Breeze tells him that they're underwear, and he's like, "Oh," like just going through the whole thing. I'm digging it. I never cared about these guys before, so if if they're making me care, I guess that works. And then uh, Randy Orton was really quick asked about his upcoming WWE Championship match against Ginger Mahal, and I felt like Randy could have said something a little bit, I don't know. It's not fucking pussy sounding like ass. Like, you kind of call him a dickhead. Yeah, like, he's a real dickhead. So, I mean, like, something, I don't know, it was a little complaint about mine, but I was like, that just, that, that felt flat. And then we had Brazongo defeating the Colognes. Bandigo scored the pin on uh, a Pico after hitting the Falcon Arrow. After the match, Usos came out, acted really weird, and their shit's not really working for me and basically told Fandango and Tyler Breeze are going to kick their ass on Sunday. I don't know if you noticed this. He might have just been doing a great sell job. But there was a part where Tyler Breeze looked like he got slammed the wrong way, and he was holding his arm throughout the rest of the whole entire match. Also kind of fucked up two spots, but it looked like he was trying to avoid his arm. It might have just been in my head, and I might have just been giving him credit, and he could have just been screwing up. But, uh, you know... Did you notice anything like that, Chris? Uh, I did not. I did. I, mean, I did notice the, he like looked like he might have banged his arm up, but I haven't heard any rumors about him being hurt or out. So I I don't think it's anything to be worried about. He could have just got like a really bad stinger on his arm or something, uh, or he could have just been doing his job really well. Um, you gotta remember these guys were wrestling like two minute matches beforehand, so. It's probably just going to take them a, a little bit to shake the ring rust off and get back in there and, and put out the quality they're both capable of. I think people forget that Fandango had, like, a pretty damn good match with Chris Jericho when he first came onto the scene. So the guys that, you know, the, both those guys, Tyler Breeze and, and NXT had some really good matches. So they're they're fully capable. So it's possible that he did hurt his arm or just maybe, like, a bruise or a stinger or something where it just really hurt at that time period during the match. But I don't think it's any uh, concern for injuries, as far as I know. All right. Yeah, I was just curious about that myself. Kind of made me uh, worried when I saw my mama bear instincts came over me. (laughs) Anyways. um, So we had Shane McMahon come out to proceed over a contract signing for a six-woman tag match at Backlash between the team of Natalia. Tamina and Carmella and the team, and of course James Ellsworth, Ellsworth, whatever the fuck his stupid runt name is, um, and the team of Charlotte, Becky Lynch, and Naomi. They had a really awkward hallway scene where, of course, like you know, it's normal that Becky Lynch and Naomi are just walking down, and then there's Charlotte Flair giving Naomi the stink eye, and then she joins the group and continues throughout the whole entire night. I don't think Naomi and Charlotte realize that. Were they supposed to kind of be friends and cool, or what was going on there? Opposites, at least for that, looked like maybe Naomi was screwing it up. But that's eh, not that big of a deal. Um, all six women signed the contract without incident. Um, basically, everyone could talk except for Tamina, which I thought was kind of fucked up. 
But whatever. She got her moment to shine later on when they got thrown out, and she was going ape shit on the, the ref. Um, Set a contract without incident. Then James Ellsworth does this weird thing where he's like, don't worry, Shane, I know what you're doing. And Shane's like, I, I never... Like, I, I love how Shane was selling the whole entire time. How he was like, I didn't, I didn't tell you to do anything. Or like, can we hurry up? All right, are you done? Like, kept on... Very, very funny. Good job, Shane. Um, anyways, Sean and Becky that... Uh, basically uh, a fight ensued because Naomi went for Ellsworth, and then, of course, that led to uh, Carmella going for Naomi. So, of course, we have to have a match next after the break uh, between Naomi and Carmella. Talia, Tamina, and Ellsworth were all ejected from ringside. First Ellsworth, and then as Natalia and Tamina were leaving, they came back to attack Becky Lynch and Charlotte. Naomi was distracted. Carmella got the roll-up after a really sad match of me listening to Carmella go, Ow! Are you freaking serious? Every time she got kicked in the ass, God, she's awful. I can't stand her. She, I, it makes sense that she used to be the manager for Enzo and fucking Big Cavs. Anyways, uh, she fucking rolled up Naomi. Thank God she was distracted and wasn't clean. But she fucking got a pin on our champion. So, yeah. How do you feel about that, Chris? Monster <laughs> uh, I so are the women gonna have a title match? I'm I'm still confused. The contract fighting's for a Survivor Series match. Is that what's happening? Yeah, it's three on three. That's what the fucking signing was. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> Teddy Long busy? Could he not come out and make this tag team match player? Holla holla holla. <laughs> um. You know, I kind of wish Teddy Long. Teddy Long is still route. waiting in that last arena where he thought he was going to be taken over as commissioner. So he's still there, <laughs> like you know, eating paint chips and surviving off that and moths, lots of moths and <laughs> rainwater. Sorry, I'm just really confused on. I mean, I know that they're trying to build feuds off this thing, but I'm just really confused on, uh, like, why this would be better than just having a straight match between Naomi and Charlotte, who've had two good matches. So it's, I don't know. It was fine. <laughs> Just leave it at that. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Fair enough, Chris. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I don't know what they do at this point. I, I hope, um, you know, and I told you that this is all a ploy and that basically Charlotte's been in on the whole entire time to the beat up as a fake out and she's actually in control of all them and she's going to turn on Naomi and Becky Lynch and former own horsemen off of all second generation, you know, wrestling lineage like all of them have. Now, that is possible. My second part's not so much because I would fucking kick the uh, Jersey girl the fuck out, Carmella. Uh, I would even have, you know, you could even have Charlotte say, like, like all of our fathers are legends. Who's your dad again? get out of here, and then Tessa Blanchard comes out, beats the shit out of her, and that's their four horsemen. You know, actually, as a gimmick, Charlotte Flair and Tully, or Rick Flair and Tully Blanchard's daughters leading it with Natalia and Tamina going forward. That's what I want, Chris. But am I going to get that? Probably not, man. But it would be cool. <laughs> I, don't, well, I don't know what Tessa's doing. Is she in NXT already? 
Well, I think she's a free agent. She just finished filming um, the net, the last season of uh, Lucha Underground, which she was on because she's Ricochet's wife or, or fiance. I forgot. Uh, they're in a relationship together. I don't know the status, but they're definitely together. I mean, she can't. She's not going to go work New Japan because they don't really have a focus on female wrestlers in New Japan. I would assume either she's going to re-sign to Lucha or go work TNA, maybe Ring of Honor, would be my guess. But yeah, I I wonder what they're going to do. She's she's a pretty good, pretty good wrestler. I enjoyed her stuff in Lucha Underground. I I don't know why they they couldn't. It's not like they couldn't do something like that. It's just that they want it if they want to. Well, but, she was in NXT. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know what happened. Um, yeah. Who knows? Let's go over to the last little hump of SmackDown before we close out. But anyways, uh, two pointless things. Backstage, Dolph Ziggler spoke about his upcoming match against Shinsuke Nakamura. He had a video package of all of his accomplishments, which were absolutely nothing because he doesn't get it because he hasn't done anything actually. So, yeah, Dolph Ziggler didn't watch NXT either. Don't worry about it. He's fucking impersonating Shawn Michaels. He'll be fine. Um, but anyways, uh, so Ziggler promised to beat Nakamura this Sunday at Backlash. Then we cut to Sami Zayn cutting a promo and talking about Baron Corbin and talking shit about him. And guess what? Baron Corbin came up while he was talking about him, hit him by, in the back of the head, and then beat the crap out of him. Weird, I know. Anyways, Randy Orton went against Baron Corbin, our main event for SmackDown. Uh, Corbin had control for much of the match, but the tides turned when he slammed, when he was slammed until the ring post. Uh, Orton then connected with a running power slam and a DDT off the second rope before having an RKO attempted, uh, attempt blocked, being hit with Corbin's deep six instead. Orton eventually connected with an RKO for the victory after the match, Jinder Mahal came down and told Orton to relish his time with the WWE World Championship as he would be taking it from him this Sunday. Orton was then jumped from behind from the Singh brothers, and Singh and Mahal continued to beat Orton down as the show went off air. Yippee! Chris, uh, yeah. How do you, how do you so what's Baron, what's, what's Baron Corbin doing at the pay-per-view now? He's going to get Sami Zayn. Okay. Just making sure I, I was Sami Zayn on this show. No, Sami Zayn just had that promo where he was basically like, Baron Corbin's a dick, and Baron Corbin can, you know, this is his problem. And then Baron Corbin came up and he was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Braun Strowman you, and hit him in the back of the head for like the 15th fucking time, beat the crap out of him oh, okay. on his way to the ring to go against Randy Orton. Okay, I was just making sure I understood you right, because I, I think I missed that segment. Um, I thought you said that Orton got hit, and that's how they set up the Corbin versus Orton at the end of the show. So I missed the same there, thing. There's a possibility. Um, so I missed that all together. So, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, that, I, I, okay, so why did Corbin lose to Orton here? That's, I mean, I guess that's my actual question. Is if you're going to have Sting come out and do a beatdown, why didn't he just do a beatdown during the match and just leave both guys looking strong? Because at the end of it, Orton did look strong because he just got his ass kicked. So him going clean over Corbin doesn't make any sense from a booking standpoint. 
I don't know. But, you know, I don't. I, like I said, some of the decisions that they make, it's like, huh, that's very interesting. And then I go, well, at least it was a good match, or at least I hope I say that. Sometimes it's not even that. But either way, it was at a, least that tried. was a decent match. I mean, that was a yes. decent match. I like the deep six style of the RKO spot. I thought that was kind of cool. It's uh, Corbin. I like Corbin, so I don't want to see him like losing to people often. Um, for his character, because I'm pretty sure they're going to give him a push to Money in the Bank. I think he might be the guy that wins Money in the Bank on SmackDown. So that that would be my guess with what they're doing with him. So, so he'll probably end up beating Sami Zayn because everyone beats Sami Zayn. He's the new fucking Dolph Ziggler of the Wrestling Federation. Even though Dolph Ziggler is still there, Luke Harper. His... <laughs> yeah, you can feud with Luke or, Harper and or... then beat him. Bury Luke Harper. Have Sami Zayn what and is, Luke Harper get buried by, by James Zeltworth on the next episode of SmackDown. We should just put, I think you should just put Sami Zayn and Dolph Ziggler in a tag team together and have them go for the tag titles. <laughs> and just make their gimmick that can't get it done by themselves. That'd be perfect. They could be like the, the Heath Slater-Rhino combination that SmackDown's always not wanted anymore. Um... <laughs> Oh, God. What the fuck is going on with Luke I, Harper? He lost to Eric Rowan last week. Why? God damn it, that was a bad idea. Yeah, I don't know. They gave him, like, a little bit of a push, and then they immediately took it away, which I don't understand because Luke Harper is probably one of their better big guys as far as, like, what he can do in the ring and how he performs. Eric Rowan does nothing for me at all. He looks like a fucking goof, especially because he's still doing the Wyatt gimmick, but he's not part of the Wyatt family anymore because Bray's not fucking there. So it's like a weird... I, I, I think they underestimate that, you know, some people probably watch Raw and don't watch SmackDown or they watch SmackDown and don't watch Raw. So when they try to cross-promotion this thing, it's just really strange to me, especially consider, considering they never, like... Back lineage, anything from NXT, unless it's like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. So I don't know. Some of that shit's just dumb. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree with you. And Eric Rowan, apparently, he's within. He, I think he's like changing his his gimmick or some shit like that. So he was talking about something about a clown not too long ago. He might. I would have actually just had him keep his mask on, just because he looks scary and fucking weird as shit with that. You know, um, whatever the hell it is, uh, Lambhead. There is a style that I'm forgetting what the fuck it's called. That it's that. Steampunk? There you go. I was trying to think of it earlier for Marty Scrawl with his hat, and I completely fucking blanked out. That's what I was trying to... See, these shows that we do, there's a part where you're like, Dane's an idiot. He has no idea what he's talking about. Now, I forgot a word, but later on, Completely unrelated. Chris helps me out. And that's what we do on fucking Geek Vibes. All right? Oh, man, I need to go to sleep. Um, well, Chris, it, it, it's been fun. It was a, it was a good uh, thorough show. And uh, I enjoyed having you back, as always, man. Uh, did you enjoy your, your time? And, um, you know, say some stuff. Uh, closing out. we got a couple more minutes left. Yeah, man. Uh, I guess mainly check out Ring of Honor versus New Japan, the, the thing that just happened. Everyone that's a big wrestling fan, check that out. Find it online, uh, legally preferably. 
<laughs> so check that stuff out. Check out some of the New Japan wrestlers we talked about. If you're not a big New Japan fan, at least give it a shot. I think you'll dig it if you like wrestling and the art form of wrestling. And uh, everybody have a week. I don't know. That makes sense. Well, yeah, no, and Chris is not lying. It's very much fun to learn about different things. And if we got to teach you a little bit about New Japan, that's all we really wanted. So, thank you, Five Nation. This has been another wonderful, arousing episode of Wrestling Geek Alliance. Coming to you every Wednesday, 8 till 10. Just have a good night. Keep it geeky. Will the Geek Fires be with you, motherfuckers? Yeah, see it. Man. Oh.